All right, good morning. I love the Bible. I love reading the Bible. I love the stories in the Bible. And I love the miracles. In fact, I was a little sad. I was, uh, was downstairs with the youth in the basement uh, teaching that class uh, with uh, the youth group. And so I didn't get to be a part of uh, the, the miracles class that was upstairs. We, we went through a bunch of different miracles. And I love those. So just real quickly, tell me, what's your favorite miracle of Jesus? Uh, the, the bleeding woman. I love that. Awesome. Just everybody who knows me knows that's, that's my absolute favorite miracle. What's your favorite miracle? Lazarus being raised from the dead. John chapter 11. That's another fantastic one. What else? Oh, when he sent the demons into the pigs. That was awesome. It just, just makes me a little sad thinking of all that good bacon that didn't make it out. It was really, well, you know what? If we have favorites, if we have one that's up at the top, then there has to be some naturally that, that kind of filter down towards the bottom. And so what I want to talk about this morning is, is what might possibly be your least favorite miracle, the one that you don't love, the one that maybe you don't understand, and maybe after you listen to it, you decide you just don't like it at all. In fact, this miracle of Jesus is different than everybody else's. If you were, uh, of all the other miracles that Jesus did, if you were here about three weeks ago, I didn't uh, get to be in this class, but, but, but Barry Love taught on this one, and we're going to take a, a, a deeper look at it this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 11. We're going to be looking at what might be the worst miracle of Jesus and the little fig tree that didn't. The little tree that didn't. We're going to be in Mark chapter 11. We're going to pick up in verse 12. I'm going to read a few verses and then we're going to talk about it because as you look at this, you're like, wow, I don't, I don't know that I like this one. I don't know that it really makes sense. So let's pick up in verse 12. It says, the next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He's a human. It's normal. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. So let's stop right now. This is a little crazy, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing to be like, oh, I'm going to walk on water. I'm going to raise this, this widow's son back to life. You know, he's going to heal lots and lots and lots of people. But this miracle is different than no other miracle that he does. He sees the tree, he walks up to it, and he is dissatisfied. He's disappointed. All leaves, no fruit, all expectation, no satisfaction. And so in this shocking turn, Jesus then curses the tree. And I just want to say, poor little tree. What did the little tree do? In fact, Mark goes out of his way to say it wasn't the season for figs. It wasn't ready for that. So why in the world would Jesus do this? 
I mean, aren't you taken aback? Aren't you shocked a little bit? Maybe stunned? Jesus, the child welcomer, the compassionate healer, the storm calmer. What kind of miracle is this? What, what is He doing here? Now, if you, if you go back and look at the Old Testament, there are some miracles and certainly some prophecies that call out judgment. But Jesus' miracles, they're about healing and grace and love. It's, it's about mercy. Now, if you're bothered by what we just read in Mark chapter 11, you're not alone. I want to read some comments by some, some scholars and some other people as they look at this. Uh, one commentator, William Barclay, said, This does not seem worthy of Jesus. This cursing the tree. A New Testament scholar, T.W. Manson, said, It is a tale of miraculous power wasted in the service of ill temper. And Bertrand Russell, he's a philosopher who wrote an essay called Why I'm Not a Christian, used this narrative as one reason why he doesn't believe in Jesus. He said it shows Jesus as a furious man, unable to control his anger, not worthy of the supposed Son of God. So when we talked about favorite miracles just a few minutes ago, I didn't hear anybody say, oh, the withered fig tree, that's my favorite. No, I think most of us are a little bothered by it. It doesn't seem to benefit anyone, and it's a little confusing. And, and Jesus does come across as, uh, as a little hangry at best, and maybe even a little vengeful. Why would he do that? I've got a second or two. Okay. Okay, so you think there's a connection made. I think you I think you might have cheated. I think you've read ahead. But but wait, I don't want to go there yet. Because the rest of us are already wanting to flip the page. We want to erase this. We want it gone. We don't want our friends reading this and asking us, what do we really make of Jesus cursing trees? Okay, well, there's three different ways that I want us to approach this. And the first one, physically, what is going on? Okay, well, we know this, um, that there's actually two kinds of fruit uh, from a fig tree. And I, we'll go ahead and show this first picture of what a fig tree looks like. I think we will. So it, it bears, this is a, a fig tree. They, they grow anywhere from uh, 10 feet to 30 feet. Um, the roots can be a nuisance, to say the least. The way that they spread out, you can Google that and look at that. But, but what's interesting about the, the fig tree is there's actually two kind of fruits. Um, but, but I do want to say this. Let's look at this next picture. If any of you thought a fig tree looked like this, you're wrong. Okay? I know what you're thinking. As a kid growing up, I always thought this must be a fig tree. Because the fig newton, I assume that's how I, I assumed that's how it came off of the tree. But that's not it. Actually, what we'll see in this next, year, next picture is this is like a, a, a fig. 
Okay, this is what you would expect to see. This is after it's become ripe. But, interestingly enough, that, that what we also have is another picture, is a smaller version. This is the, the budding, and you see those tiny little buds right there? Those are actually edible. And so, and so what's interesting is, is that the fig tree is one of the few trees that can have fruit as it's having leaves. In fact, the fruit can almost, it can come out first. And this first top is what people would come up and Jesus would have eaten on. And so even though it wasn't the season for the ripe fruit, it still was the time, if you could see leaves, there's a good possibility that there should be these little, almost mini figs that, that you could snack on. Okay, so we know a little bit about that. Now I want to talk about figuratively what's going on here. The fig tree is everywhere in the Old Testament. In fact, several prophets use the fig tree when they talk about Israel and the fact that they can be fruitful or in some ways they are, are fruitless. You can see Micah chapter 7, Jeremiah chapter 8, and probably one of the more f familiar ones is Hosea chapter 9. Uh, and this is where uh, Hosea says, No first ripe fig that my soul desires. So God pours out a curse of barrenness. And I Israel becomes a rotten fig. And that's Jeremiah chapter 29. Okay, remember that, that this was a sign. The fig tree was used over and over again to talk about the judgment that God has on Israel. Which just a useless fun fact, but I find interesting, is where else do we find the fig tree? Or, or more specifically, its leaf. Yeah, you go way, way back. And remember, it, it was the fig leaf that was used to hide the nakedness and the shame of Adam and Eve. And so this is all throughout. And so when Paul, excuse me, when Jesus sees this and he, he tells them about the fig tree, they all know those references. They all understand, but, but yet there's something even more. And the last point that I want to look at is what does this mean contextually? What is going on around us? Now, I love this, and, and this is something that you get just by, by reading through the Gospels. And you see that, that different uh, Gospel writers use different rhetorical devices, different methods, different techniques. And Mark uses one that's known as, literally, as the Markin Sandwich. And I know you're thinking, I've lost my mind that we're talking about figs, and now we're talking about food. But there is this, this technique that Mark loves to use that's known as the Markin sandwich. He'll introduce a subject, and then he'll, he'll go to something else, and then he'll go back to that, that first subject. So sandwiched in between, and they all come together. Right? And so what we're seeing here, starting in, in verse 12, is really just the top bun. Okay, so there's more going on that we have to see, and so it's important that we, we keep going on uh, and read ahead. So let's pick up in verse 15. Okay, so we're completely changing here. We had the top bun, and now we're getting to the ham. Okay, 
So listen here, or I don't know, Turkey probably would be better in this instance if you, if you listen. It's, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple court and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and benches of those selling doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise throughout the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this, and they began to look for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. Well, this is just another passage that we would just as soon forget because it shows Jesus as maybe a little bit of a tyrant. Maybe he's impetuous, loses his temper. He walks into the temple, he sees what's going on, and he literally just starts throwing tables and pushing over and yelling at people. We have another account where he's going to make a whip and crack it and, and get people out and start yelling and screaming. What's going on here? I mean, first, this poor little fig tree that does nothing except maybe not have fruit, right? And he curses it, and then he comes back in, and all of a sudden he's screaming and yelling again. It's like Jesus has lost his temper. We should just remove Mark 11 from our Bibles. In fact, would you, do you mind doing that? Would you just tear that page? Let's throw it away because I don't know what to do with it. Just read it? I, I'm bothered by this, but, but what if something else is going on? What if... What if Jesus is looking at the temple in the same way that he looked at that fruit? See, he saw the leaves, and the leaves led to an expectation, a hope, and a desire that there was something else there. Jerusalem was in full bloom. But there was no fruit. There was nothing there. Jesus lashes out at the temple in the same way that he had lashed out at the fig tree. And so maybe, maybe there's something in common with the two. Listen to this, Jeremiah chapter 7 says this, Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say, we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things? Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Think about this. This wasn't just, and there was a lot of things that were going on within the temple that weren't really Pardon the pun, kosher. I mean, there were a lot of things that the Jews had begun doing, uh, that the chief priests were doing. Everything from the way that they were just uh, really shearing, not just the, the wool of the, the lambs. It was the people too. People would come in, they would bring their coins. And there in the temple they would say, you know what, we can't accept this coin because it has the, the face of somebody on there 
And sometimes that face might be a Roman leader who was worshipped in some way. So they said, we're not going to have those type of coins. So if you give us your coin, we will then give you the temple currency that you can use. But, but they, would, they would make a little off of that. These people had traveled all this way. They were being cheated. But, but here's the big thing. It wasn't just, y'all are doing bad things in here. He called it a, a, a what? Of robbers. A den. Now, listen, I'm not a crazy hunter. I don't know a lot about animals. I have a dog. He's not smart. That's what I know. Right? But what's a den? It's where they live. Do you get this? This wasn't like people were just passing through. Remember he says, this is whose house? This is God's house. This is the Lord's house. But you've made it your place. You said, I'm going to take up shop here. I'm going to live here. And I'm going to do whatever I want. And the Lord detests that. And Jesus is fighting for his father. It was God's house, and they had made it theirs. The temple had been a, become a place where it was now hard to find God. So clearly, Mark 11 is all about judgment. But hang tight here, because we got the top bun and we got the meat, but there's still the bottom bun, and I want us to look at that right now. So let's pick up in verse 20. It says, in the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Remember, this is not just a, a tiny little tree. This could be anywhere from 10 to 30 feet, and it instantly had withered. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Okay, so he's pointing out. They saw this yesterday. Can you imagine a tree rotting that quickly? I mean, I've, I've had trees die on me. I don't have a green thumb. I wish I did. But whatever it is that I have, it kills every tree in my front yard. I'm running out of trees. I can't tell you how many I've had to cut down. But it's a slow process of them dying. Little by little that I've watched them die over several different seasons. But this happens instantaneously. And Peter is pointing out, this is a miracle that you just did. Again, it's a weird one. It's not walking on water. It's not healing anyone. It's cursing a, a tree. And Jesus says this. You've got to listen carefully. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart but believes that what they will say will happen, it will be done for them. So let's just stop there. Okay. This is wildly taken out of context almost every time. Somewhere we get the idea, we, we forget everything that's done before, and we read this and we say, oh, look what, look what Jesus is saying. He's saying to all people for all time, you can do anything you want to do, just pray and it's going to happen. That's not what this is saying. And some of you are like, whoa, 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 are you saying that Jesus is not all powerful? Of course I'm not saying that. I'm just saying he doesn't carte blanche say you can do whatever you want. All you have to do is pray about it. Oh, yes, I just won the lottery. Oh, yes, you know, I just lost 12 pounds. Like, oh, yes, you know, my kids were nice to me. They're teenagers. What can you expect? 
Really think? And, and people read this and they think, oh, that's what he's really saying. But, but there's a word in there that you really got to pay attention to that I think is really, really important because it places it back in the context. Of... Listen to this. One more time, I want to read this. He says, have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, I just said it and you might have missed it, mountain. He didn't say a mountain or your mountain. He says this mountain. Can you guess what mountain he was looking at? It was the temple mountain. He wasn't making a declaration that anytime you have a problem, you just say a little prayer and, and wiggle your nose and God will fix it and take it away. That's not how it works. It didn't work for Paul. Paul begged and pleaded. And God didn't remove that mountain from him. Jesus is speaking into a, a specific context. And he says, this mountain will be thrown. And here's what's really interesting about it. This mountain, this temple mountain, this temple which took decades to build, over 40 years to build, was going to be completely destroyed. And that would devastate Jews who loved going to that mountain. You know, it reminds me of what Jesus said earlier in John chapter 4 to the woman at the well. They're having this argument. She says, you know, you Jews say you have to go to Jerusalem, but we have this mountain and, and you say it doesn't count. And you remember what Jesus said? There will come a time when people will worship my Father in spirit and in truth. And it wasn't about the mountain that you were standing on at that moment. You see, for, for the Jews at that time, they were all about the show. They were about the sacrifices. They, they were about the incense. They were about going to the temple. They thought that was the way that you worshipped God. But Jesus was offering a completely different mountain altogether. Because right near the mountain where the temple was, was another mountain that we know as Calvary. And he would say, this, this mountain, this mountain is the one which will never go away. The, the temple and this, this, this fake worship that in other places God would say is detestable, he says that's not what's important. And what we do have to remember is that while he was talking specifically to his people and about that mountain, he was making a statement to all of us. And, and Eddie pointed it out. Don't, don't have leaves and pretend if you're not going to have fruit. Don't let your worship be about an auditorium 
or a time or a certain number of songs, a place where you go to. Your worship should be within your heart and it should overflow wherever you go. I sincerely hope that your best worship does not happen on Sunday morning from 9 to 10. I hope your worship spills out into all the different places that you're going to go. God needs, desires, and deserves to be worshipped wherever you go. There are people who don't know Jesus. And how are they going to know about our God and our Savior if we only worship Him when we come here and close the doors? Jesus says, this mountain is going to go away. But I want you to know that there is another mountain. While the temple was a place of our sacrifice and His judgment, the cross would be about His sacrifice and our forgiveness. And that's why I really love this miracle. Because while he does say, look, bear fruit, he does say this, it's all about my sacrifice and the forgiveness. And so while some people read these closing verses and say they don't make sense, I think they fit in perfectly. Listen to this, we're going to close out in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you... and and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. And he says, this, this is the great miracle. This is what worship is really all about. It's not the sacrifice and the sacrifice and the sacrifice. It really is about forgiveness. And the forgiveness that starts with God, but it doesn't end with him. And that's what he's calling us to do. And so this for you, you bear fruit. Bear fruit in the way you love people that you like and the people that you don't. And for some of you, you have nursed a grudge and sought revenge and mold over stories of anger and bitterness and unforgiveness. And you got a really nice leaf going on. But you're not bearing fruit that leads to forgiveness. I want you to know and I mean this with all of my heart and with all the sincerity that I have, just, I promise you, you, you let go of that anger and you allow forgiveness. You begin praying for that person and you say, God, I want this over. And it is literally life-changing. It is life-changing if you can just hand that over and say, God, this is yours. I'm not going to be angry. I'm going to be bitter. I'm going to love the person that right now I don't like. 
the person that doesn't deserve my love, I'm going to give it to him anyway. Because that's exactly what God did for us. And that's how we can bear fruit. I don't want this to be a conversation that ends when this song begins in a few seconds. I want you to audit your life. Think about those who have hurt you, those who you've held anger and resentment against, and and be willing to say, you know what? Because of what God did for me, I want to do for you, and I want to forgive you. And allow that fruit to grow in your life. If you're willing to do that, I want to ask that you join me this morning as we stand and sing.